This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barties and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. So we have a very, 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 very special pod today because it's all about Candace Patton. Um, But first, we're going to launch into some news, which while recording this, um, the Tom Swift finale is coming. Um, It'll be next Tuesday. And I'm not quite ready to say goodbye to this show. I want it to be saved. The CW was very disrespectful in the promo for the finale with the series finale, like like announcer voice. I was like, rude. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so bittersweet. It, it doesn't feel like it, it's going to be saved. I don't know. I don't want to be pessimistic, but that's just how it feels. Yeah. yeah. And after it being like, it's only what nine weeks old and every promo trying to get people to tune in just to see that finale promo call at the series finale. It doesn't give you the same feeling as when a show has been on the air for like six years, has its big epic series finale trailer. This feels like it's been robbed of so many opportunities. And especially since the show has been getting more and more tense building up towards that ending, it just feels like it's about to rip the bandaid off and so much more story will follow. And unfortunately it doesn't feel like it's going to follow. No, which is like, I feel, it did, I want to know if talks broke down because for the CW to say series finale as if they aren't aware that it's being shopped just seems like that wouldn't be the movie would make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since it was such a conversation. And I know what happens after every TV show gets canceled. The, the producers make a big deal about how they're trying to shop it to other places as they should. You always go down swinging if you're going down at all. But because every previous CW show got cancelled, that unfortunately wasn't a conversation. The fact they made it such a conversation about Tom Swift, it did give everyone that little bit of hope. So either the CW is just being really disrespectful with that trailer, or it, it actually means the decision has been made and there won't be any more episodes. Yeah, I guess we'll find out after um, the finale airs when they start doing postmortems with the show mm-hmm. on our Cameron um, Johnson, I believe is his last name. Um, so we'll see. We do know, though, that Riverdale season seven is ending. Well, not ending. Season seven is going to be the finale of Riverdale, which we're completely fine with. However, it's not coming in 2022. Uh, we're going to talk about the finale in um, another podcast when it like, actually airs. But I have to say, I wish they weren't prolonging it. I wish it was going to be in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say, but yeah, um, it feels like they want to give it a send off. So they're doing what they usually do and just like, let's just save it. <laughs> mm. like, I don't know if that's the best. Maybe having some time to plan out the season and get it all in the can would be a good move. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I will say I'm... The the part that does excite me the most is that it feels like this can give them time to go back to the drawing board and work on a concise final story. My hopes are not high for that. I feel like maybe they'll just keep opening that can of worms and keep throwing whatever sticks at the wall. But hope, fingers crossed, we have like a concise final story and the time will give them time to build towards it. Because I know our feelings have been changing about Riverdale at the moment. Like it's on an upward trajectory. So if they can carry that momentum... 
into a final season. That'd be cool. Please. Manifest. <laughs> yes. uh, but Reed, you have like dynasty news for us, which is going to be like the best part of this news section. Yes, we we have a crumb of series finale news, which is it's so rare that we get any like teases for Dynasty. But Rafael De La Fuente tweeted. Um, I'll read the exact tweet because I've been screaming about it all week. He said something major in all caps is happening in the series finale of Dynasty. We were hoping it would. And it is in all caps. And you are not in all caps ready major. So naturally everyone was just like freaking out because again we don't get these kinds of teases like they usually just move in silence with this show um and yeah i think the most popular theory is that steven is making his comeback Hmm. i don't know there's so many different things it could it could be steven it could be um what's the other one what's the other one i had help me out yeah, no, I thought it was just Steven. Yeah, the alien abduction from the original um, dynasty. I don't know. That could be happening. It could be. I know Sabrina's really been manifesting the Ariana Grande cameo. Fingers crossed. It could be one of those. It could be none of them. I don't know. But I think it would be really cool if Steven did come back because it's something the fans really have been wanting every season. And I think in this season, Steven's been mentioned the most that he has been since he was kicked out of the show. And I didn't notice this until or realize it until this tweet, but they really haven't had, they haven't lined up like an end game romance for Sammy Joe in season five. And like with only a handful of episodes left, I'm like, there's not time to have Sam date somebody new and like fall in love with them and like I don't know so I was just like that could be a a good opening for Steven to come back and everyone to realize like what happened with that situation and maybe they get remarried I don't know but I think that'd be really cool and that would explain why Raphael's the one who tweeted about it because Mm -hmm. it'd be a major um, storyline for him as well Mm -hmm. yeah don't get me wrong this show could absolutely pull off aliens. I would love to see this show go for aliens, but having seen so much of it, Stephen feels right. It feels like, now I know I'm not fully caught up yet, but it feels like that's one of the only things they've just kind of like shied away from and the show doesn't tend to shy away from anything. So it would be cool if it had like tied it up with that neat little bow. And as a fan of all the stories Sammy Joe's been through over the seasons, it would be nice to finally see him get that happy end because they've given him a few, not all of them work, but they've given him a few like yeah. romances and they never, they never end up good for him. So it was, it was always hard to see past the end of Steven. So I don't want to see past the end of the show with Adam coming back. So it would be pretty cool if that was what, that, what, was, that was what the twist was. Yeah. And Sam's been really struggling with um, family and identity this season. And I think it would be a really good full circle moment for Steven to come back, even just with the whole, the rest of the family, because like Steven hasn't, met his half-sister Amanda like yeah, there's so many like things in this family that have grown that Stephen hasn't been a part of and he's so important to so many of the characters that it would it would just suck if they didn't bring mm-hmm. him back so I hope they can do that I want to posit one thing because I feel like you can have both worlds what if it's Stephen and aliens <laughs> <laughs> they drop him off in Atlanta <laughs> oh no <laughs> 
Ariana Grande steering the UFO. <laughs> Best of all three worlds. <laughs> yeah. That'd be amazing. And it's a um, dynasty could pull that off. It definitely oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, have you guys seen the 34, 35 video? Ariana was basically an alien. <laughs> <laughs> CW, um, if you're listening. <laughs> yes, make it happen. Uh, I hope so. I hope that's the case. Um, but if I had to pick one, it would be the Stephen plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So now we launch into Candace. I'm really nervous. <laughs> I really <laughs> have been so excited for um, this podcast because she's very important to me as an actress and an activist um, and someone who was just given um, a lot of time to speaking about um, the importance of diversity and representation in the media. But I wanted to contextualize this conversation first with a bit of TV history, because I feel like when people don't know like what she walked into, they're like, well, I mean, everybody was dealing with harassment. I'm like, it was 2014 when The Flash premiered. But prior to that, like Kerry Washington um was in Scandal, which started in 2012, and she became the first Black woman in 38 years to be the lead of a primetime show on a, on a network television. Then you had Nicole Bahari in Sleepy Hollow in 2013, and Viola Davis in How to Get Away with Murder in 2014. So you have these um, Black female leads on network TV all at once, you know, um, dealing with this really for the first time in a, in a really long time. And you have Candace doing genre. Nicole was doing genre too. Um, but like, this is genre on the CW. And Nicole's role, Nicole Bahari's role in Sleep with Hollow, like that's, she originated it. It's not the same as Candace stepping to a role, which traditionally been played by a white woman. And like, I couldn't even imagine stepping into that whirlwind of chaos, of being excited you got the part. But then before this show even airs, there are angry fans online because a character was basement. It's sight unseen. They hadn't seen the show. They didn't know what they were going to be doing on the show, but had already decided it had failed out at the gate. And then to be on the receiving end of that while you're trying to promote the show, like I can't even imagine how that would feel. It's wild to think about now looking back on it because yeah 2014 still feels very modern but at the same time so much has happened since then and that just put in context how big the flash was back then there were there were no marvel shows there were very few superhero shows the flash uh, not only eclipsed arrow but it went on to become one of the biggest tv shows of all time so all that conversation that was going on prior to the show's debut uh, obviously got maximized when it hit the screens and so Candace was, I don't want to say subjected, but automatically open to that bigger audience after The Flash debuted. And obviously so much good came from that, but a lot of bad came from that as well. And it's just shocking to think about now, in a time as modern as 2014, that was even a conversation. But like I said, even progress has changed since then. But the fact that it was a conversation back then, it's still shocking to me. And like you said, Sabrina, it's like, imagine being so excited that you got this breakout role, this breakthrough role, probably the biggest of her career thus far, I would imagine. And then just being flooded with people being angry on principle because it's not what they had imagined. And though I don't know if those people realized, I'm sure some of them realized that their hate stemmed from racism, but some of them probably didn't even realize that some of the things they were saying 
you can be protective of a property that you really love, but like some of the things that you're, that they, they were throwing at Candace was like, that's not okay. Like, that's not like, just realize what you're saying. Like it's, it didn't need to be that deep. Like, I don't know. I just, my heart breaks when I think about how excited she must've been to get this role. And then it's just like, oh, people are mad at me and they don't know me. I don't know. It just breaks my heart to think about that. Yeah. Cause you can't talk about the flash without also talking about what Candace Patton went through and continues to go through. Um, but like in 2014, like you have this, as she would put it, this ingenue, right? She's, she's, she's just stepped into the spotlight in a major role um, in a situation like Michael, you said, where there's no, there's no like Marvel TV. Like this is, this is, everyone is learning as they go about how to handle this um, when it comes to the television audience. And then the studios failed her and the network failed her about protecting her. Um, and granted, this has a lot to do with no one really knowing how to navigate social media because around this time, it was really still new for, for um, actors and artists to be online and interacting that closely with fans in a way they had never done before. And you've got like marketing teams where like, no, the engagement is great. The engagement is great. It doesn't matter if it's negative. I'm like, but then you're trying to remind them that, but I'm a person behind the account and you want me to interact, but you want me to ignore them, but you don't want to step in and tell them to knock it off or to block people. Or when she was talking on the Open Up podcast, um, that's Elliot Knight's podcast. So you said like she even had, her publishers had to ask the Flash Twitter account to follow her. Like in, for some people, like the grand scheme of things, that's small, but like when you're the one who singled out the only person who wasn't followed, it's like one thing in a line of things that just make you feel unwelcome. But when you're on a show that has, as, I don't want to say rabbit, but as passionate a fan base as a show like this, like, or at least it did back in the day, of course, they're going to notice something like that. So again, that could draw more ire, more controversy, more criticism that she didn't deserve towards her. So the fact that not only that she had to ask, but that her publicist or her team had to ask on her behalf on like social media, so professional social media account should automatically follow the whole cast. So of course it's going to look like she was singled out and no one could blame her for feeling like that. And especially when you're under such a microscope, like the, the kind that the flash would have provided in 2014, of course people are going to notice that. And this isn't just like a TV show where they're like, Oh, any publicity is good publicity. There are real people behind this. And she was unfortunately at the center of a lot of that. Even criticism sounds like too light of a word. There was a lot of hate unfairly directed towards her. I don't feel like the or the protocols were in place to protect her from that. No, they didn't have a plan. Like they mm-hmm. just like, and this is around the time I think people still do have um, like they're contractually obligated to interact on their social media platforms, um, with the emphasis being on Twitter. And so then like you have, you have to do it. Like it's, it's not a choice, just like they have to do. A lot of times they have to do the interviews, at least in the first promo cycle. So then you're dealing with that as well, which is why I loved, uh, the development of the Iris West defense squad. Now that is a deep cut for those who were not around back in 2014, but when the flash aired and there were a lot of fans who noticed that the way Candace was being treated, they decided to form a defense squad on social media and they would um, tweet so that she'd be trending every time the flash would come out. So Iris West would trend, I believe Candace Patton would trend as well um, to show so that they could show that, you know, there are a lot of like evil and mean and messed up people because some of the comments that were left 
or were very sick. Um, but there are fans who love you and who appreciate this character and want to see you thrive. And like, we got you. Uh, we will be in the trenches. Um, ex- some of them, I think, even expose some fans to like the fact that, like, you know, you're being racist, right? Like, you know, this is not okay, right? And she's like, she's done nothing to deserve this and no one deserves any of the comments that you're saying. I love the Iris West Defense Squad. It is a deep cut. I remember them. I, I the first I wasn't on social media during the first season of the show, so I was oblivious to a lot of what was going on. And it was only around the time of the second season that I came, came across them. And they saw that me after an article I wrote and said how lovely it was. And then I got to know them, got to know why they existed. And for someone who was completely unaware, because not only not only you not being on social media, but living in a different part of the world and not seeing those conversations, learning about it retroactively, it was shocking. Talking. But like even that feels like such a long time ago because it's hard to say retroactively now when I've been a part of that fandom from like season two onwards and I have seen it play out in real time uh, season after season, season after season, storyline after storyline. And of course the negativity is still there, but it's lovely to see that the Iris West Defense Squad is still there and what they've evolved into and what their new uh, motivations and motives are. The motivations said the same, but they always come up with new movements, new uh, chapters off it. And it's sad that they have to keep doing that. Like, sometimes it feels like their voices aren't being heard. But as someone who didn't hear, didn't know they existed, I heard their voices loud and clear when, when I crossed paths with them. So it's lovely to see that they, they are still a thing, regardless of how the movements evolved. I just feel like that kind of positivity was necessary. And I hope that Candace knew about it and that it was a driving force for her to stay on because she was inspiring so much love out there. I was going to say, it's so incredible to hear about that because I had no idea about that until now. But as incredible as it, as it is, like on the other side, it's like, how sad is that? That they had to even do that. Like, it's amazing. Like, of course you need to lift anybody up that's getting any kind of hate, but like, I don't know, just like, just thinking about that, like they had to band together to like make noise that's louder than the hate. Ugh, it's, it's horrible what social media can be. It is. And then when Candace was talking on that podcast, she was saying that she can't even watch like the show and that doesn't, um, automatically applied to like the harassment she got but it was so bad that she wanted to leave um before season two like it was just like and she only stayed one because (laughs) contracts and two um because she knew how important the role is so then you have fans who are being awful but then you have like set situations that are also not great like she doesn't watch the show because when she looks at an episode she'll know what happened on set that day because she dealt with like a lot of microaggressions. And she was saying like everyone was starting from a learning place, but like you actually have to want to learn. And so like having to steal yourself to be prepared to have to fight for the things that you need is hard. And she does it. She did it. She continues to do it. She talks about it in um, her interviews whenever she does do an interview, whenever she does do a panel, which, by the way, that is why I have a bone to pick with people who are up in um, the Twitter comments of when those articles came out about um, CW not protecting her from harassment from fans. When they were there, people were like, well, she never said anything. Candace Patton has been talking about this since 2014. She talked about um, the way fans were treating her. She talked about how she needed more support on set. She's talked about how need to hire people in production who can do um who can do black hair 
um, makeup for black women, like the, um, to have people in the writer's room, to have people behind the camera, like it's much more than you hire, um, this one person who's going to like break boundaries. Like you have to protect those people. And they were not doing that. And the CW has improved with that over the years. They're still not the best at it. And you do have, um, you do have, stars coming out and saying like yeah um we had to have a few discussions about this that and next but because she held the door open you have she's able to give the support to them that she didn't have because it was just her Mm, definitely and that's what bothers me about a lot of people saying that she never talked about this before i remember during the show's third season fourth season this conversation would come up i think the thing that's changed is she's gotten less afraid to talk about it and she keeps saying more now every time she does and as she should say as much as she needs to because the fact that she still has to at this point in time is shocking especially i think the one thing that resonated shockingly a lot with a lot of people was the fact that this has been the stems back as far as season one because everyone thinks of the show in season one as this kind of like energetic exciting game changer and the cast was so bubbly and light and young and fun at the time whereas now it seems like they're kind of just going through the motions with the show as as any long-running show does but the fact that you can look back at that bubbly first season and now know what was going on behind the scenes and that it wasn't all light and fun and bubbly that's heartbreaking especially for someone like the leading lady who was in most of the scenes like the fact that she's now stuck it out now that we know she's stuck in that for now what's going to be nine seasons testament testament to her and congratulations to her for wanting to further that movement and increase the representation on the network and continue to inspire people but she shouldn't have had to have done it for that long in that environment the environment should have been cleared up long ago and the fact that it's still a conversation now nearly a decade later is just unbelievable I completely understand where she's coming from with like wanting to remove yourself from a situation that's not good for you, but also being like, well, crap, my presence is bigger than myself. Um, and also I did want to say, look, I'm, we all know, everyone here knows I'm an Arrowverse outsider. Like, I don't know anything about this uh, fandom series, anything, but even I, caught wind of this at some point in the show's run like I feel like any time that her name came up unfortunately it was like I was like oh okay she was the one that was getting unfortunate and unnecessary hate online I didn't know the depth of it I didn't know like what it was about but somehow that was creeping into like my timeline even though I wasn't like seeking out information and content about the Arrowverse like that. It was always something that I was like aware of peripherally. Um, And then when I did, I saw that Twitter thread um, that compiled like everything that she had said and to to hear that people are like, Oh, she never talked about it. Just to hear her explain her experience. There's video and there's quotes. She's spoken about this openly and honestly and frankly, like, just because you don't like what she's saying doesn't make it any less true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Unfortunately, people hear things and they're like, oh, that's, she's being dramatic. And it's like, well, listen to what she's saying. Just because it, maybe it's reflecting poorly on what you actually think about the situation. And you should listen to what she's saying. Mm-hmm. I think it's because it it challenges um 
what people want, which is they want it to be fun and bubbly and for everyone to have gotten along and for um, one of their favorite shows to not have had an issue behind the scenes. But to be frank, The Flash has had an issue on camera. (laughs) Like it just has, like there's just, we are, we've gone through eight seasons um, and I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the podcast. I don't think I can name a single season where Candace was given um, a storyline that was consistent. Like she's had great moments. She's had storylines that were great. But if we're talking about all the way through the season, they have struggled writing for Iris um, since the beginning. And I think a lot of it had to do with their inability to um, extract her from Barry's storyline and, and let her be a reporter. It really confused me in season one after they had talked so much, um, the fandom had talked so much about like how much of a reporter Iris is. And she's basically up there with Lois Lane um, that like I was having a dissertation and it had nothing to do with journalism. And I was like, wait, why are we starting out the gate this way? And if we're starting out the gate this way, where's her story about falling in love with journalism? And you get there through Barry and that's fine, but it's like, it it's had its stops and starts and it's always had its stops and starts. And that has been bothersome as a viewer for me. See, I'm like confused because I did watch, I don't remember how many episodes of season one, but I did watch it when it premiered. I, I have no memory of it, if I'm being honest. Um, but as the season series went on, it was my assumption that they were co-leads, male lead, female leads. She had her own thing going on. And I guess I also was ignorant that I didn't know exactly what was happening with the show, but like, why would I keep up with the show that I don't watch? Um, but that's just always been my assumption that she was second on the call. She, she's second in command. Like she has her own storyline in the show. And to hear that that's not the case and that they, she was just kind of thrown around that's really disheartening. Mm, definitely. And it's interesting looking back now because I know season one definitely had its issues with how it handled her, but I do understand as far from a story standpoint, it had to focus on that little team flash bubble while it built up towards her finding out. But the whole Iris and the flash dynamic, that was wonderful. And you're like, why couldn't you have taken that and built upon that and done something wonderful? I don't really remember what she had to do in season two. In season three, she was notoriously portrayed as the damsel in distress. And then they tried to make up for that in season four by making her the leader of team flash, which is great. You're leading ladies on screen all the time but she wasn't in the storyline she should have been where was this passion for journalism that the show promised the fans consistently over the years it was going to give her and then even though she is now where she needs to be it feels like an awful lot of that happened off screen and that's mm-hmm. not right it could have shown her build of that empire now she's suddenly like the cat grant of central city and that she has this empire but all the fans offer wanted her to see her build that and I I think that's a disservice to obviously Candace Patton because she would have nailed that material. It's a disservice to the Iris West character because you know how iconic journalism is to her and it's a disservice to the show because it doesn't know how to utilise its female leading lady and that is not right. We shouldn't be having this conversation eight seasons later. Can I ask a question that we may or may not know the answer to? Mm -hmm. Sure. Are there any women in the writer's room for The Flash? That is something to Google because I'm actually not sure. I know that CW over the years have been taken to task about um, the lack of diversity amongst gender and races 
in their writer's room, especially um, when it came to DCTV. I'm actually not sure if there are any women or have been any women in the Flash writer's room. I don't remember. I, I see. I feel like it's harder to follow with that because the Flash writer's room used to have a Twitter account and then about six years ago it stopped, it stopped being active and I think it's gone now. So I don't actually know. It's very hard to keep up to date with what happens behind the scenes on the Flash. But that's a good point. Maybe that is part of the issue. I don't know if it is or not. I don't want to assume, but yeah, I do feel like this show has struggled dramatically. And like, not to compare shows, but like all you have to do is look at how Superman at Lois utilizes Lois Lane in every single episode. Sometimes she's in the super story. Sometimes she's in the Smallville realistic story. Sometimes she has this wonderful female friendship with Lana. I just feel like the Flash has failed Iris in all of those categories and it wouldn't have been that hard to nail it because at the end of the day, yes, Superman at Lois is of a higher standard, but these shows do follow similar formats. And if one show can nail it, there's absolutely no reason the other one couldn't have. And it was very close to doing so many times. It just consistently dropped the ball. Yeah. And one of those balls is um, the fact that she doesn't ever really have friends. Like they'll come in, um, they tried to force one with Caitlin and that wasn't working. Um, and I think like when she had the central city citizen, I was so happy because then you have um, Allegra and I'm so sorry, I don't remember her, the photographer's name, um, but that whole dynamic was wonderful. Uh, and I appreciated it so much. It took forever to get there, but I appreciated it. Yeah, so did I. And it was nice to see that little subplot. But then I think that brought up the, uh, again, the same issue that like with Riverdale would have where it pockets characters off. And then Iris mm-hmm. suddenly started to feel disconnected from the major story. And so much so that the night Cisco was leaving, wasn't it? The photographer was Cisco's girlfriend, wasn't it? Camilla, isn't that right? Um, oh, yes. Uh, so much know that the night Cisco and Camilla were leaving, Iris had a separate party with Camilla while Team Flash had a separate party with Cisco. And I get the idea in theory, but Iris knew Cisco for far longer. Should she not have been at his leaving party as well? They were very close when she was the leader of Team Flash. I just feel like this show is not built. Of course, it's been very careful building friendships for Barry because understandably he's at the focus of the show, but so is Iris. And some of those friendships come and go. Like, for example, Iris was a wonderful addition to the Frost episode after Frost died. Iris bonded with Frost's mom, but it was hard to take some of that seriously because they talked about how Frost and Iris had this friendship and you never saw that on screen. And I know there are issues about why they did this, why they didn't do that. But I just feel like that highlighted the show's inability to build friendships for Iris. And you need to remember that she's not just this person that can be pocketed off into a second leading story. She needs to be the lead, the co-lead of the main story as well. And again, that just feels like one of the many injustices they've done the character. That's one of my least favorite TV tropes. I have to speak on it. I'm sorry. Um, and it's just, I'm going to be honest, lazy writing. When they they always do that with women characters, they just like, it's because of proximity. They're like, oh, they don't really get along, but they're in the same space. They would obviously be friends. And it's like, that's not always the case. And it's mm-hmm. unfair to do that. It happens in so many shows. I wish I had an example prepared, but I feel like I see it so often. I'm like, they would never like, be close friends like they're just acquaintances Mm -hmm. why would you do that (laughs) and the for iris it has only recently been been more organic to like her personality so like yes read with the example for the flash would have been caitlin those two would never be friends and that is okay like um but like they forced it for a little bit until they just quit 
Um, but like, yes, she'd be friends with Ryan Wilder. Like, yes, she'd be friends with Sue Dearborn. Like they're, they fit her personality. They're both bosses. Um, and they lighten her up. Like Iris is fun, but she also over the years has become so serious because so much trauma and tragedy has happened. So um, having best friends that um, bring a levity to her, but are also fiercely protective of her um, is important. Without a doubt. And I think that was, we, it's well established what we feel about season eight, but I feel like that was one of the silver linings of it was the Iris and Sue friendship. Of course, in the back half of season eight, it, did, it was non-existent. Sue would pop up to stand in the background of scenes and not have a single line of dialogue. But the Sue and Iris friendship was so unexpected. And like, where has this been? When was Sue introduced season five, season six? Why couldn't we have done this sooner? Or why couldn't we have done this sooner with Iris with a different character? It's just, it was nice to see her have her own story, but it became so separate. It's like, we can't possibly include her in the main story. So much so that when they did, Sue became a back character and it's just Sue was such a great addition to the show but she got so much better when she was a friend of Iris and that's because the writing dare I say served them well so why couldn't it have done that so much sooner was Sue in the episode I watched uh, no, no. okay because cool. like do I know Sue <laughs> <laughs> but did you see the clip of Iris making someone disappear like Thanos no no okay because like Sue was in that one so if you saw um I've I've seen nothing about the show except except for the finale of season eight that I watched out of context. (laughs) Okay, we'll table that. I will I will message you a picture of Sue so you can put a face to the lady. She's a badass. She is. She's amazing. And again, I hope she's in season nine. Me too. Um, Me too. That'd be so great. Um, I think have I lost the thread of where we were at? I think I have a little bit. So I want to circle to um, a point that I wanted to make about. Candace being the one who's ushered in mm-hmm. all these black women superheroes or if we were um, in genre fiction, just because she's held the door open. Um, I know some people are like, she just arrived. It's like, yeah, that's the point. She was successful in um, a genre show and therefore networks and studios were like, you know what? This seems like a formula that would work. I think she's the reason why um, Marvel was like, we can make an MJ who's Black. Therefore, let's do the Zendaya. And that worked. Um, there's Kiersey Clemens, who's in the DCU, in the Snyderverse, um, as Michael told me. Because I was like, ah, it was a deleted scene. Did they show her later? Like, um, But I know she's Iris West in, in The Flash. Um, Anna Diop as Starfire in Titans, Divisio Leslie, obviously, as Ryan Wilder in Batwoman. Um, AZ to Michael, do I pronounce Tesfai? I believe so. Yes, I believe so. Mm-hmm. AZ Tesfai as Guardian and Supergirl. And then, of course, Casey Waffle in um, the short lived Naomi, which HBO Max, again, do not know why you didn't pick that show up. And Nefessa Williams as Thunder and Black Lightning. Luck. It's so easy to get like uh, pulled into the negativity part of this because Candace has been through the ringer and she should never have been. But I, I, I do feel like it's important to step back and look 
look at the representation that she has held the door open for, not just on this network, but in the genre. And it's wonderful to say every time she did a live with some of these actresses that you just mentioned, it was always interesting to hear it from their perspective. And I think the one underlining thing in most of those videos was that how none of them would be in the roles they are or were in this day and age without Candace holding the door open for them. And I think Yes, Iris West isn't a superhero, but I don't I I feel like a lot of people let that slide and like oh don't overlook that or do overlook that, excuse me, and they say that she didn't have to wear a costume or she did she wasn't the lead the main lead of the show, which again is Robba. She is the co-lead of the show. But the fact of the matter is Iris West Allen was the leading lady of the biggest superhero show at the time of all time. And then look at look at that wealth of diversity and representation that followed her. And for anyone to overlook that would be just, it, it, it would be so naive, it would be so ignorant to ignore the impact she has had in this genre. And I, I hope, I'm glad that Candace continues on because while the hit comes and goes, while a lot of these new projects come and go, Iris West has stood the test of time, not to use a flash pawn, but Iris West has absolutely stood the test of time. And I think that is a testament to Iris, but more so it's a testament to Candace. And I'm glad we're living in an era with this growth and representation, with this growth and diversity. And as the superhero genre continues to spiral into unreachable heights because it's continuing to get bigger. I'm not sure it would be there without the flash, but I know for a fact the diversity within that universe would not be there without the flash and more importantly, without Candace Patton. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. I'm sure to a lot of little girls, she is a superhero. Exactly. Just because we haven't seen a, a photo of a little girl and Candace in the same outfit like we have with like what Brie Larson and Captain Marvel or whatever I feel like we see those all the time just because she doesn't wear a suit doesn't mean she wasn't inspiring to a little girl who was like oh I can see myself on screen through Candace Mm -hmm. and Iris exactly and also she is a hero like she doesn't have to wear a suit to be one like she's central she's central city's hero in a way that she makes sure to uplift the community like she Mm -hmm. really when they do the journalism aspect for her right she's a symbol of someone who um thinks it's important that it's not just the voices of those in authority that we hear but the voices who run on the street those in the community those who are um on the front lines every day in Central City, seeing things go down, seeing how how um, life is for them. And that's why I appreciate her so much, to be honest. I mean, I also call her um, Iris Deadshot West Allen um, because you don't want to mess with her in a fight either. Like, she doesn't have powers, but she can ruin your day. Like, whether it's with a gun or whatever she has on hand, she's going to mess up your life if you mess up hers. And it's just amazing when Candace gets to do action sequences because she's so good at them. Oh, without a doubt. Now I've, uh, it's well established that I do not like season four, but one of my favorite things about season four was the amount of like promo shots or trailers or even episodes where you'd see Candace holding that long gun because they, they, because Iris had been hardened by the effects of the previous season. She started to learn to defend herself better. And you could clearly see the writing team was trying to make up for turning her into a damsel in distress in the season beforehand. And that to me was one of my favorite parts about season four. And to go back to the whole, whether she's a superhero or not, you don't 
need superpowers to be a superhero. You don't need a costume to be a superhero. But I will say one of the best parts about season four is that they give Iris superpowers and a costume, <laughs> yes. um, even if it wasn't that horrible, the hotness episode. But the fact of the matter is... Oh, not him. But the fact of the matter is... Iris shot him down. Iris put out that fire. Iris cooled that hotness. And As she should. As she exactly, should. exactly. One of the best parts about the Flash put out one of the worst parts about the Flash. Um, <laughs> and again, you see in what was it? The season seven finale. Again, season seven, not one of the better parts of the Flash. But like the Speed Force whips, uh, flicks her fingers and all of them are suddenly in costume again, including Iris. I do like that they have that thing to go to if they need to. Not that they should have to fight the whole Iris isn't a superhero argument. She is a superhero, but like if you need a costume and speed to prove it, we have that on the back burner and that's great for them. But I just feel like Candace nails action as well. And it would be nice to see more of that. Don't get me wrong. I'm the very person who said I want to see Iris reporting and doing what she's good at. But when they need to, to lean on that, I'm glad they can because it's just, it's great to see her in that outfit. It's great to see her with speed, just like Barry. And it's great to see her thrive on screen, whatever, whatever she is doing. And I know we're going to talk about her favorite scenes from her, but like I, I've talked about season four and I feel like I can't let the conversation go without mentioning that epic showdown that uh, Iris had with DeVoe's wife. And it was, I love my husband more than you love yours. And then mm-hmm. Iris proved that she, no, no, in fact, and then it got um, Marlena, was that her name? Marlena DeVoe to stab herself, to stab Iris. Iris stabbed herself with Marlena's weapon so that she could hit the button and bring herself closer to the thinker's chair and ultimately knock her out. So just the, the depths Iris was willing to go to to save Barry that uh, the flash has had some gems over the years and that was one of them and candace absolutely thrived in that scene she did i think since we're talking about epic iris moments anyway um we might as well just like just launch into more of them my well, some of my favorite ones of course is when she gets to fight but also when she gets to shoot so like when she stops avatar um that was an amazing cut um because he was run, he was about to start charging at Barry, and then she shot him, and that man was done for the count. He evaporated, um, kind of like the snap. It was mm-hmm. it was amazing. Um, it also, mirror Iris. That storyline took a long time, but that fight sequence where she's attacking Barry is absolutely amazing. You could tell Candace had fun. Oh yeah. Oh, the T one thousand could never. Iris went all Terminator in that moment. That was an epic moment. Um, and yeah, the uh, the shooting of uh, Savitar down, it didn't make up for the damsel in distress season that we had to endure before that. But the, the, that beautiful line she had at the end, all this time you were trying to save me and look at that, I saved you. I was like, yes, Iris. I wish we had more <laughs> of those moments, but my goodness, was that one worth the wait? Yes, or um, when she jumped off the roof to go save Barry. Oh. Uh, that was epic. Um, I also like her softer moments um, when we got out of the mirror storyline and she was struggling with talking about what happened to her. And she has that great moment where she does stand up and um, she talks about her own experience as as loosely as she possibly can. But you can tell it meant a lot for her to finally be able to get um, the words out about just how hurtful the whole experience was and how traumatic the experience was. I, th- I think that was, I remember watching season seven and I'm kind of like a muted, like, oh, okay, we're doing this, we're doing that. That brought me out of that feeling. That was such a powerful moment. And 
the fact Candace absolutely nailed it from a performance standpoint. She had some great dialogue to work with too. And it, that again, I hate to keep going back to that, but it's always the glimmers of what Iris could have been if they if they stop giving her crumbs and start giving her full blown meals because she she really makes the most of the scene she's given. And I just wish she had they could have followed on from that a little bit more. But my goodness, what a powerful scene that was. Can I just say that, and I know I told you guys this, but when I watched the season eight finale, she was my favorite part of the episode. And that is an objective opinion that was not influenced by anything. It was just anytime she was on screen, I was like, what? And I was like, (laughs) that was when I was the most focused because she was just so good. And it was really compelling to watch her perform. Yeah, she's the best actor, period on The Flash. And then it's Grant Gustin for me. Um, I know it's his show first, but for me, um, Candace is just, when they give her what she should be given, the breadth of what she brings to the storyline is just amazing, which is why when she said on Open Up um, that she doesn't know where she, what type of performance she would have given if she didn't also have to wade through trauma to get her performances out. And I'm just like, girl, you're already stunning. Mm-hmm. on the flash i mean how much more could your roles be elevated um but if she feels that way i just that makes me want to see her in another project like what is canvas going to be giving us when she closes the door on the flash and steps into a new role i mean hollywood better be ready because um the awards feel like they're gonna have to be given <laughs> <laughs> i'm excited to see what she does next because obviously like um it's a lot to get into the flash now. Like, I don't know if that's something that I would personally do, but I do want to like follow her career and see what she does next. And I could see her getting into like being a producer and taking on that Mm -hmm. kind of role and like having a voice and being an advocate for younger black women coming into the industry because she's been through it. And I'm sure she wants to be able to care for others and foster that talent and, continue to open doors not just like crack the door open but like swing it open and put the doorstop down and be like come on in we're gonna do this together um I don't want to place any like expectations on her like if that's not something that she wants to pursue like I want to like backtrack and just be like she can do whatever she wants to do obviously but that's just like from an outside perspective I like I really hope that if that is something that she ever would want to pursue it would be so exciting to watch her do that because I know she would be amazing at it Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, she's already knocked down so many walls and not they're not walls that an actor on a show should have had to knock down, but her voice has been so powerful as far as things like that go. And it would be incredible to see her carry that forward in her career if she wants to. Uh, but I just hope wherever she ends up next, it's an environment that appreciates her. It's an environment that makes her feel like her voice is heard from the get-go. It's an environment that allows her to thrive all the time. We've said she's great at action. I could see her being a fantastic lawyer. Whatever kind of role she ends up playing next, I know she'll thrive, but I think just think the underlining point of it is I just hope that she feels appreciated at it because the biggest role of your career shouldn't take such a like draining effect on your life. And it's sad now to know from that 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 it, it did do that far. But the truth is, she will be great at wherever she goes. But again, I just hope that she's happy, whatever she does. Yeah, I would even, I mean, because at this point, I'm going to tentatively say The Flash season nine is it. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I think it should be it. Um, though I know there are fans that want to get to season 10. 
Um, and if they do, that they do. Um, Candace may not be there, and that is fine too, um, just because of everything that she's gone through. Um, but like, I do wonder, will she walk away from being in front of the camera? Like, will she do like what we said and be behind the camera um, producing? Um, wherever she goes, I definitely know I'm gonna follow um, to see what she's she's doing next. I think though, because it's been um, nearly a decade, there, for all she knows, she may not know this, there might be people coming up in the industry who actually learned from her of how you should do better. Um, I know that like, obviously other than like good home training and you've been taught to be mindful of the things that you, you say, um, speaking in the public sphere, especially on camera and anything that's recorded, um, can be difficult. Like you don't know how to navigate it. And I've loved all of the things that Candace has said over the years of uh, how to be mindful of the way your words can impact the situation, even if they seem harmless to you. Um, for instance, uh, I'm going to put this in a way that, so when the snowberries were gaining in um, attention, um, there were some of them that were a part of the snowberry movement because they didn't care for Iris and some of that was racist. And I'll acknowledge that there were some snowberries who simply just liked Caitlin and Barry. But in a situation in which there's a lot of toxicity, there's no need to lean in to what the snowberries want. And in an interview, Daniel Panamaker did do that. And I think in other situations that didn't involve your lead, that can be fine. Um, but when like the lead relationship is supposed to be Iris and Barry, um, there's really no room to like can't hit wink wink see what happens those fans especially when the loudest of them only want it because they want Candace Patton out and I think in that situation it would have been better to pivot mm -hmm. um, to to talk about to talk about West Allen instead. I think in any situation like that, if you're um, a co-star and you, you're aware of the harassment going on, that's the best thing to do is to pivot away from conversations that will lead into, will bleed into the toxicity that a fandom is experiencing. So when people are in comments saying, well, what can co-stars do? What can networks do? Like what would, what would be the appropriate response? Well, the appropriate response is to not feed into the topics that you already know are going to breed toxicity. It's important for networks to immediately shut things down. It's, it's important for, as a unit, co-stars to be like, hey, this is not okay. In the way that the Obi-Wan Kenobi cast protected mm -hmm. Moses Ingram. Um, and I know fans were, some fans were mad because they were like, well, I'm not one of those people. I actually just don't really like um, Moses Ingram's character. And I'm talking about the writing and how I don't like that. It's like, okay, well then don't, you don't need to hallway it because they weren't hitting you. <laughs> they, they were talking to the people who are doing this for racist reasons. And it's important for companies to come out and be like, we see what you're talking about online and we don't care for it and leave our stars alone. It's important for co-stars to, um, to drop videos online and to publicly state this will not be tolerated and we love this person and we protect this person. So if you're looking for us to engage with you in that way, that's not happening. Uh, being cognizant of the atmosphere is of the utmost importance. And if you're going to be in the industry or you're already in the industry and you're trying to like navigate toxic waters of fandom, that's the best way to do it. Be aware of what's going on.
and don't feed into it. Um, and that's not like a, a slight against anybody who's done that and was just not aware. Like some people do that and they're just not aware of how bad it can get. Like, but once you're aware of it, don't do it anymore. Definitely. I think it's, it's definitely a learning game. And without a doubt, people are learning and the importance is that they do learn. But I do think the Obi-Wan Kenobi example is a great example because the, seeing, seeing the videos that Ewan McGregor posted, the, 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 I, the backlash, I know that's a much bigger show, but the backlash, the, the, the togetherness, the way, the way they, 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 they bound together to stop that at its root, at its source it does highlight that the flash never really pulled that off. I know there were, I know that movement started to get off the ground multiple times. Some people stood up, some people didn't, but it, it never quite had the togetherness or the seamlessness that the Obi-Wan Kenobi movement did. And considering the flash is one of those shows where this whole diversity conversation, this whole, we need to protect our actors started with it's, it's disappointing in hindsight that it was never able to pull that off. I do think the CW is getting better, but it's not there yet. And it still has a long way to go. And I, but I'm not sure it would be in the better position. It is if stars like Candace hadn't spoken out in the first place. And the truth is that they shouldn't have really had to. So I do think everybody is learning, it's important that we continue to learn and prevent things from like this happening, not just to future stars, but to to the ones that are still out there in the trenches talking about how it's still happening to them. It's important that everyone's voice feels heard and that nobody is subjected to that kind of online hatred again. Sure. And that also means showing us you need to come out for your, Mm -hmm. for your stars. Um, and to write better for your stars. One of the things that Eric Wallace did promise for season nine was that the writing for Iris is going to be better. I hope that's the case because um, he received just criticism for the way that Iris's writing was handled, that the storylines were, were handled, including that whole debacle about um, Candace's four episodes that she missed, um, which she released on her Instagram that she was always available for episodes so she let them know that she was um the only thing that she wanted to make sure and this is the plan her team put together um was that if the borders closed because of COVID again she's not trapped in Canada uh she spoke on that podcast about how much that harmed her mental health to not to be able to go home and so she didn't want to be in the same situation again so it wasn't just um like, oh, again, all the people who didn't care for Candace or didn't care for Iris were like, oh, well, she wanted a break before episodes. Like, well, she didn't want to break before episodes. That's just what happened. That's what the, the decision behind the scenes was made, that Iris is going to be missed for four episodes. I believe there's an interview from, from Eric Wallace where he talks about um, it being a means of making it feel real that Iris is gone. I didn't feel like it felt real that Iris is gone. I felt like the they were too... Um, there's too much levity in places for her to be gone. Um, but that is what he said the impetus for the, for the decision was. And I don't want that to happen again in season nine, um, especially because she said that season eight was going to be her last. She thought season eight was going to be her last. And if that was going to be um, Iris West Allen's last season, ooh, um, like we had a tragic start and we were going to have a tragic end too. Like, like it just the, um, just what it came full circle with terribleness, um, when it came to her, her storylines. And I do not like that. So I am happy that she's in season nine. Yeah. I want more for her in season nine. And I know that might sound selfish, but the fact of the matter is 
what they did in season eight, that four episode gap was completely unnecessary. But the thing that made it worse was that they weren't utilizing her right before or after that. So it really stood out when she wasn't in the episodes. The fact that the show's writing got better when when she wasn't in the series or wasn't in the season, that was disrespectful. That should never have been allowed to happen. And I would really appreciate if we never have to say the words time sickness ever, ever, ever again. Um, Give her something worthy. And it's not just about sticking her in a storyline with Barry. This is not like, oh, a woman's storyline is only good when she's around a man. It's not that. But you could clearly see the effort they were going to to keep her and Barry apart in season eight. And that hurt the story. So let them interact. Let them have those moments. And let the leading lady and leading man actually share the screen together once in a while. Because I don't just feel like that will benefit both of their stories. I feel like it will benefit. First of all, the performances with Grant and Candace are incredible together. But even more than that, it'll benefit the overall show more because you could clearly see it was going to such an lengths to keep them apart. Just don't let that happen in season nine. Will you guys let me know if we see producer Grant Gustin and producer Candace Patton in the credits in season nine? Because that's like something well, that I'm dude. like, I'm like surprised that it hasn't happened yet. And I'm like, is it going to happen in the maybe final season? We will. We'll, yeah, we'll screenshot it. We'll screenshot it and we'll make it the banner on the Twitter <laughs> just in celebration. <laughs> Okay, just to round this out, um, I do want to say, at least for now, one last hashtag, let Iris be great. Um, that was a movement that was started by Candy Kane's You on Twitter. Um, and she's, they've been very vocal. All the fans have been very vocal using that hashtag. And I'm assuming that's going to come back up when season nine airs again. But like, do that. Let her be great. She is already great. So let her be great on screen. Yes. I love that movement. Like just like with the Iris West Defense Squad, it's wonderful to see what the fans can accomplish. And I hope there isn't as much of a need for it in season nine, but I will be super happy to see that hashtag again in season nine. And yes, I will be tweeting using it. But I would I suggest starting it early. Once you see that they start like writing and filming, let's get on their necks yeah. early. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Make their voices cool. heard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 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 not be putting a directive out there <laughs> you should though you're right get on the next early that is exactly what this should be done you know i don't even know how we transition into nancy but we're gonna do it uh, <laughs> but so episode two was intriguing um it definitely got more supernatural is that a word um with <laughs> with miss lucy uh, appearing everywhere in windows. Poor Nancy. Um, our girl's going through it and she's still trying to solve mysteries and break into morgues and, and get down to the bottom of what happened. Nancy just does not give up. She, she got arrested this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I really, I, I love this show so much. I was watching it and I was thinking this really feels so CW in a way that hasn't existed since like the the tens. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah I really enjoyed this episode. The the early on in the episode the the police station scene was really giving me Veronica Mars. And I know it's kind of blasphemous to compare Nancy Drew to Veronica Mars because Veronica Mars was inspired by Nancy Drew, I'm sure at some juncture. Um but I'm talking about like this specific show and and Veronica Mars, just like her relationship to the cops, her like not really giving a crap about authority. Um, 
I think that's really an important uh, shade of this character of Nancy to like be very confident and um, steadfast in her own convictions. Um, but yeah, I love how this episode continues to like unravel all of the characters and get deeper into the mysteries. Whew, uh, her dad. I don't want to, I feel like I brought up so many different points, but um, her dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I felt like they were starting to hint towards something there. And then the conversation he had with her in the police station, it kind of quashed those worries. And But did it though? I was like, Nancy, be smarter. Him saying that he used the dress as a prank for oh, yeah. a mom. Yeah. I was like, in what world do you use a bloody prom dress as a prank? <laughs> I, I can't. That's the one thing I will say. Like, I don't believe Nancy would have believed that. Um, sorry, Michael, to interrupt you. No, but... no, I totally <laughs> got it. I remember thinking that the, when he also, we had the flashback again of him and his wife taking the uh, dresser out of the ground or putting it in whatever. Um, I remember thinking, oh, do we really, ha- is this really a one to two episode arc that's wrapped up and done? There was definitely more to it than that. He did cover himself very well. That was a very playful way he spoke. He had an answer for everything she asked. And maybe it is. Well, he's because- a lawyer. Mm, very true. <laughs> maybe <it's laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the lawyers, but like you guys think quick on your feet. I'm just saying. <laughs> but the fact is, he ha- she clearly has blinders up when it comes to him. And it's funny to say that because she is calling him out for everything he's done right out of the bat but maybe it's just the fact you always do see that that the hero can never see what's right under their nose so maybe she'll figure it out obviously she'll eventually figure it out as as it goes on but I do think that added some spice to it because up until this point the father had been very kind of um of course he has his issues but he was very nice he was offering advice but like stay away he's very very dad-like and of course, we all thought there would be more to it than that. Now it turns out there's way more to it than that. So we'll see what that means. But I will say the aesthetic of the show, the tone of the show, I'm not right, really right sure of the right word to describe it, but it's just, it, it's it's wonderful and for, right from the surface level, right into the stories. It all blends together so well. And the yeah, the scenes in the police station as well. Um, the fact that she she has such like that banter with the the police officer, the the chief, who is, is so eager to arrest her. The fact that they're not really taking the fact that they're suspects seriously because she's so convinced she can solve this problem. And I really one of my favorite things about this was the dynamics in the episode. And I know I said that about the uh, pilot as well, but you got to see like how her dynamic with George unfolded, how her, how, she, how she finally learned some of how some of her behavior in the past wasn't acceptable but at the same time George kind of came to see that all these people might actually be her friends of course there's still mysteries like Ace has still got that underlying mystery or he's photographing people um, and Bess is still keeping secrets about where she lives but I do love the, I do love watching the, each of the dynamics unfold and now the, the dad one suddenly become the most interesting one but there's so many layers to the story and this episode became so much more supernatural now that even Nancy's starting to believe in it and I just, I can't wait to see where it goes next. Every time it ends, I'm like, oh, I want to flick on the next one. <laughs> I think this episode proved that Nancy is a big old softy. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there's so like with her father, like the lie was, the lie was what it was. It was, it should not have held up in the light. 
but she wants to believe her dad so bad that she just accepts it. Or like, um, as soon as her dad gave her an out for Nick, we were right back to being comfortable with Nick again. Mm-hmm. Or like she, um, with George, like she, she caught her and, but then she thought about their history together. So she was soft about it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm being judgy. Like, um, so I was like, Nancy, you want people. You say you don't want people, but you do. You've somehow like gotten like, what's it four people now that she hadn't been hanging out with before, but she is now. And they've kind of become her little, her little group in only two episodes and it works. Um, and I do love that George helped in the end. I, mm-hmm. I want her to stay with Mr. Hudson though. I know eventually she will, because, but still. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I love George in this episode. I loved when Ace and Bess were having their moment at the claw. That's what it's called, right? The claw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And George comes barging in. She's like, I have a bag full of body parts. And Nancy got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know I just said that I dislike the trope of like people who aren't, wouldn't be friends and are just becoming friends because of proximity. I know I just said I don't like that, but it works here. It's very like sitcom-y in the sense of like a workplace comedy where you're like, why do these people spend so much time together outside of work? And it's like, oh, it's because when you spend that much time together, the lines between like friend, family, coworker kind of, um, they blur. And I think it works in the sense because they're all going, they're kind of, I don't want to say trauma bonding because it's not super traumatic, but they all are going through this thing together and all they have is each other. Um, and it's fun to see the dynamic shift in episode two in a way that you're right, Serena works very well and is very natural. Um, and I thought this was a very well done episode two. It doesn't retread a lot of what the pilot did. Cause I know a lot of episode twos are like, here's the pilot, but a little bit different. Uh, this one mm-hmm. like keeps the story going kind of gives us more introductions to the characters um but all in all it's a very good episode too like i wouldn't even give the show a four episode test i would just be like okay two episodes were good mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. which is i know i'm being a hypocrite because i stopped watching after seven episodes in 2019 but um oh well <laughs> <laughs> i'm i can lie if i want to it's my podcast <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a time and a place too. Sometimes you know that's not when you're supposed to be on the journey. Yeah, you're on the, the journey timing now. is right now. The timing was yeah. not right back then. I wasn't ready for Nancy, but now I am. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Um, like I said last week, I watched the trailer and I was like, "Oh, I'll watch that." Never watched that, and I was angry at myself now. Or about two two years ago, when I heard about how good it was, and but like I'm so happy we're doing it now together. It's so much more fun this way. And look, we need Nancy now more than ever because it's, yes. like I said, it feels so CW in an era where like we're severely lacking in that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not being dramatic. It's just, it's it's a drought out there. Um, <laughs> but we need Nancy. And I think whether or not we were inspired by the Drew crew, I know I would have been like, Nancy, girl, I'm all in on you now. <laughs> You're all I got. <laughs> And I think this episode more than like confirmed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I also, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I feel like it, it didn't retread the steps of the pilot. I think that's a great point because it very much felt like pilot part two. I said last week how the first part of the pilot felt like pilot part one just because it was suddenly cut off by that cliffhanger. And of course, the cliffhanger of the ghost in the background wasn't really that big of a cliffhanger because it was quickly, quickly dealt with until she saw the later visions and the ghost came back more so. But it, this just very much felt like a continuation of the story. There was very little retread done. And then that like montage where they all kicked over the seawater and George's was a bot bucket was, was bloody. And then of course the father burning the dress, that would have felt like a very good place for a pilot to cut off. Obviously you can't have an 80 minute pilot on the CW, but it just, it felt this, this felt very much like the end of that first chapter. And I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Yeah. Cause the, um, the ending also had a coda that like felt very end of pilot. Like you mentioned, like that song was playing for a while and it worked and it felt very dramatic. And I was like, Oh, everybody is lying. Got it. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, which I mean, yes, we did that the previous, um, in the pilot, but like this one felt even more sinister because of the information that we got. And because Nancy's nerves had been settled on the pilot, um, she, her nerves were ratcheted up. Mm-hmm. And then in episode two, she was like, you know what? I've gotten some answers. I'm fine. Only for her dad to be burned in a dress. For Nick <laughs> to have a stowaway phone um, that um, Mrs. Hudson called. Uh, and now George has a bloody bucket. Like, it's just unsettling. And it works so well. I think the softest ending was, wasn't an ending. But I guess the softest thing was um, Ace and Bess and Ace realizing that Bess does not like boys. And then immediately- I love Ace so much, yes. guys. <laughs> it's bad. I love him. <laughs> He's so sweet. He immediately pivoted. He was like, oh, well then we, I can be, what was it? Your plan anchor? I can be your platonic well, anchor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, Ace, that's so cringy, but so sweet. <laughs> it is. And Bess loved it because she needs a friend. And, and he's going to be puppy there dog eyes too. It's like, how do you say no to that? I wouldn't. Oh, I don't know. And neither <laughs> would Nancy. I think so. I don't know if um, the Nace fans were there from day one, but I was like, Nancy, I'm into you and Nick, but I see the way you look at Ace sometimes. I, okay. I was about to say <laughs> that not to be like a, a, a shipper. Um, Cause I know there's so many fans of shows that like, they like pause a scene. And they're like, look at the way that Robin looked at Nancy. And I'm like, that's Stranger Things reference. And I'm like, I think that was just a, a convenient freeze frame. But I did clock a look in this episode when they were plotting in the kitchen. The way Nancy looked over at Ace and I was like, I'm looking. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like the spark wasn't really there mutually or maybe at all. I don't know. That that obviously was not the point of that moment. But I was like, okay. If that's a crumb, I picked it up and I put it in my pocket for later. <laughs> it's the second time it's happened too, because it did actually happen in the pilot as well. When we first meet him, she double takes as she's looking at him. And I'm like, Nancy, questions. Relatable. <laughs> like in- first of all, relatable. <laughs> <laughs> we see you, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> we do. And I guess Ace is going to see her at some point. Um, mm-hmm. but she's looking. Uh, we see you, Nancy. Mm-hmm. What else for this episode? I don't know. It just felt really... I I don't like Mr. Hudson. I don't think I'm supposed to like Mr. Hudson, but it was funny that he took Nancy's dad's advice and came on down there with his, uh, well, no, he didn't come down there. He bought it from the little girl to, to have a 
a nice moment. And then he carried himself on over down to the rocks, looking just as lost, trying to get some seawater so the people would come to him. And they did a long line of people giving condolences. And I was like, I thought y'all didn't like him. Why are there like 30 of y'all in line? He's another part of the show that really reminds me of Veronica Mars, because there was like in that show, there was also the divide of like the working class and the really rich people that are exist in the same town. And he very much gives like the the um the Lily Kane murder in I don't know if any of you ever watched Veronica Mars, mm-hmm. but Lily Kane was Amanda Seyfried. Um, and she was a teen that was murdered by a rich man. And it kind of it has those like those shades of darkness in it his when you go to his house and you see like where he lives again right she didn't go to wait she went to his house in the pilot Mm -hmm. but we did see Mm -hmm. him at his house when george goes to the house Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm all mixed up but it just had that same kind of like eerie like he's this really wealthy man and whenever we see him his house it's all like shadowy and dark and Mm -hmm. that kind of those motifs really add to the characterization of him and it, I don't know, it just gave me Veronica Mars, which I appreciate because I love that show. Yeah, I think I, Nancy's so good. It's just mm-hmm. good. Two episodes in and it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, all on board. Yeah, love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sold, hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of sold, hook, line, and sinker, uh, I really liked this episode of Tom Swift. I will say, though, that it hurt me deeply um so i guess just to get that part out of the way the i've um part of me really wants them to say jk about barton developing conversion therapy gummies to try to turn his child i didn't i didn't watch uh it's just been a long week so i missed in the dark and tom swift no (laughs) yes Yes, the, the whole thing, oh um, this Gummies? episode. They're go- so um, Susanna, who's you know the lead of, of The Road Back, she, Swift's sight is something that Tom puts on her head that she voluntarily does. And she's, she's trying to explain why she's part of The Road Back. And she delves into this memory about, I think she was 12, and her parents had developed um, some type of intelligence enhancing uh gummies gummies because it'd be for children um i think i'm not sure uh, and so it was very painful it made her nauseous uh i don't actually know if it made her smarter as they wanted but basically they experimented on her child on their child uh and then she told tom that his dad upon learning about her parents technology wanted to know whether or not you could use that to make someone straight I don't remember whether or not like that part I was I was hurt. So I was struggling to hold on to to the storyline, but he tried it on Tom. I think Tom was also 12 and he got really sick, had to be rushed to the hospital. And um, before he did that, before he gave the told his son that it was a vitamin before he did that, he's like, it's going to make you strong. And I'm like, Barton, please, please tell me that that's not a conversion therapy coming. It was supposed to be a conversion therapy gummy. Um, I don't like it. I hate this. <laughs> oh, it was it, it was awful. And of course, like, now Tom doesn't want to save his dad. I mean, I, yeah. mean, I get it. Um, I mean, we understood that he was homophobic. We got it. Why did we need this? Why? Mm. I like I. 
there's a part of me that wants to like try to understand when shows do these kinds of things but i'm like why do we even need to put that into the universe at all even if you're telling us that it's wrong why did it need to exist as a story point at all it didn't need to i don't think this is important and i guess i'll reserve additional judgment until i see it in context but out of context i'm i i don't even know how this came into somebody's mind mm-hmm yeah, um, I it's pretty fresh in my head. I watched it this morning, and it's it was shocking to say. Um, I know I know they've portrayed Barton as being homophobic. That's that much is well known, but uh, he always had he always had that kind of like you do you over there and that's fine or whatever. Even if he wasn't fine with it, but this feels like it's crossed a line. And I don't know whether it's just done as that penultimate episode conflict to give Tom that conflict. We've got all the places, pieces in motion, but I'm not doing it anyway, because at the end of the episode, Zenzi and Isaac decide that Tom will regret that decision later. So they're going to go and fit, find the missing capsule pieces on his behalf and save Barton on his behalf so that they can have that argument in person when they save Barton. And again, also understand that side of the story. But I feel like there were enough stakes, there was enough tension, there was enough buildup in place already that we may not have needed that little penultimate episode, like, oh, he shouldn't do this after all. It was a very, the, the scene between Tom and Zenze when Tom realized what had happened, incredible, perhaps my favorite scene of the whole series. The performances were amazing. But yeah, it didn't sit right with me that they did that. I don't like that. And again, like Reed said, I don't know if in 2022, we on a network known for its representation, like the CW, I don't think we need to even put that out there or like highlight that or even like no doubt that the finale, I hope it gets the chance to before it's wrapped up. No doubt the finale will once again highlight this is wrong. This should never have happened. But when the series was doing such a great job on its own anyway, did we need that conversation in, in the, 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 the final hour? Was, was that necessary? I don't... To contextualize it, it's Susanna's way of trying to get Tom on her side so he'll join the road back. So like, and she's the one who's telling the story outside of his memory of what happened. But the, his memory of what happened is um, tainted by what she said. And so now, like, and so there's no context for what Barton said. So like he hears from Susanna that that's what his dad was giving her in the gun before. Do you have a memory like that? And Tom does have a memory like that. But he's, there's a point in the, in when he sits down and he's like, why is um, Barton asks him? Because I think Tom is painting some type of souped up car and he's painting it pink. And his dad goes, why is it always pink? And Tom goes, I like pink. And then I think Barton says something along the lines of, okay, well, then that's what you like. Um, so I'm like, is this, did Susanna play Tom and his dad didn't give him a gummy for that purpose? He gave him the, the gummy for the same reason that Susanna's parents did. He wanted to increase his intelligence. Or is she right? Like, because I don't trust the, the villain. Yeah. I, um, and that is not to say that's not to say that she's not coming from a place of truth, that she found this out and then she's just exploiting the truth to get what she wants. Um, it also could be truth out of context. I don't think it really softens it for it to turn out to be that Barton was looking into the technology for that, but decided against it and was just going to use it for intelligence. Hands. It could still experimenting on your child without their without their knowledge. Mm. Um, but 
if it's not that, if, if it is like, no, he was trying to use that gummy to turn his son straight, then I'm sorry. I said, I tweeted this, like, Miss Lorraine, I want to leave your husband up in Saturn. Like, he can find his, his own way home. <laughs> like, like, but if they're going to, again, if they're going to do that, though, then um, I know people grow over time, but perhaps Barton should leave the show and be an absent figure. Mm-hmm. Because it would just be really hard to sit there. And even if he is in a different place um, than he was, what is that, 15 years ago for Tom? The fact is it happened. Mm-hmm. If it is, if it's, that did happen the way Susanna says it did and the way Tom thinks it did, I'm it's, no. I mm-hmm. hope that's the case that it was just Susanna being a villain. But, and I will, like I said, I'm going to reserve further judgment until I see it in context for myself. Um and I still, it just, it doesn't sit right with me that that's even like a, I don't know. They could have found another, another thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the point though, because that her whole thing is, this is why technology can't go that far. Because like, if you, you give technology to the wrong people, this is what happens. And I'm like, Susanna, you sound like poison ivy. <laughs> <laughs> like, not that I don't like that energy for a villain, but that doesn't change the fact that you're killing folks. Mm-hmm, to yeah. get what you want and now you traumatized a man to try to get him onto your side yeah that's the thing i don't like that they decided to use that even if it's from a villain to use that against tom and if we do find out that barden was looking into it and then decided like oh never mind i'm gonna be like am i supposed to applaud him i don't care the bar is in the, in the basement for that like i'm not gonna <laughs> be like oh good job you decided to accept your son and not give him a gummy i don't know Again, I'll I'll wait for context, even though I've just talked way too much about this this episode without even seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about the Zenzi and Eskel of it all. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. Still, how much do you want to be spoiled? I mean, is she still climbing up that tree? Uh, it's on pause. Oh, um, well, because good, you know how this show doesn't sit on secrets that long. Yeah. She found out about um, the doctor in the trunk. Oh, awesome. Yeah. She saw the video actually. And she was just like, maybe let's be on a break. <laughs> that, that's not <laughs> what pause means, right? <laughs> because she's a little confused about what she wants to do. He did tell her it was for her. And I was like, don't put that on her. That's you did that. Um, but she's like, he saved my life. And I was looking at her like, girl, how much <laughs> more does this man have to do? Yeah, um, I think the interesting thing about it was that was uh, I really liked that we got to see it from that perspective in the end. So she said she will protect him from the road back because he protected her. But clearly any spark between them is done when that's done with, at least we think so. But she then she then said to Isaac that he saved my life against the family doctor. Like what's to stop him from saving my life against you or saving my life against Tom, which means she, she can't trust him because he's ever if he's ever put in that position again, he'll always choose her and that her friends could end up dead as a result of it. So that's a very interesting conflict. But I do feel like this episode's kind of taken Esco off the board, at least unless Susanna finds out it's taken him off the board and definitely portrayed Susanna as the main villain of the piece it's just I don't know if it'll be able to wrap it all up in one yeah. 140 minute finale I know so I'm thinking like we have an hour left mm-hmm. what's he gonna do <laughs> I know and is it um is his it's it's Tom's love interest who's not Rowan is his name Jordan oh I, I don't know <laughs> I can't remember 
he popped up this week. I was like, either. yeah, I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Reed, you're good. There's a moment where you're not going to appreciate Tom either in this um, episode. Can't because wait. one of the things that um, the man he's seeing, I, I know I just Google work. Like, what is this man's name? <laughs> so I'm not just like using epithets. Let's see. I can't even look at Barton. I'm so mad. <laughs> Justin. His yes, name is Justin. <laughs> yeah. So I was, it was <laughs> Yes. Justin pops up and against the advice of his therapist, he goes ahead and um, decides to show up for Tom to a dinner. And they have a lovely back and forth about their first meeting. It's real cute. They're trying to... Um, you know, the way that couples schmooze the person that they want to impress for the company, that's what they're doing. Uh, and Justin's having a, a ball doing that. And then he almost gets in the way of the plan because he keeps trying to tell Tom that the the Swift site that he wants to use to look at um, Susanna's memory, it's not um, it's not ready for testing. And Tom's like, can I speak to you for a moment? And so he pulls him to the side to tell him um, not about the plan, but just that like, he needs to, you know, do his thing. And he does his thing. And then once he's done with Justin, Justin, who's been waiting around um, to talk, you know, just to, to, to check in with Susanna about the Susanna situation. Tom said, Tom basically dismisses him. And then while it's true that they never put um, a name to their relationship, I did not like that Tom was like, you never said what you, that you wanted something more. I was like, sir, you were at the table talking about your first meeting and how you told your mama that you would marry him without a prenup. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I don't know how much First more of all, serious. Tom would never not have a prenup. He would he never. Would <laughs> lying like, to his teeth. <laughs> he is, but like the fact that we even brought up marriage, like so, like of course, Justin would be confused about where your feelings are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like Tom has some bad qualities. The show's kind of danced around, but I feel like that relationship there now is kind of brought out the worst of them because of the way he treated Justin. And I don't know if that will come back to bite him. There may not be enough time left in the series for that to have any consequences. But yeah, I'm kind of expecting Justin not to be in the next episode and this not to get talked about. I hope that doesn't happen, but we're running out of time. Well, it already it already came back to um, bite him. So at the end of the episode, oh, yeah. he gets, I guess Susanna cloned Tom Stone, but um, Justin gets a text message that I guess, because I didn't read it, it um, uh, told him to go give her Swift site. She now has Swift site, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I I'm barely understanding what that thing does. But it's dangerous that it's in her hands. Mm, definitely, it's like she knew too much about it, even when she was when she allowed herself to go under it. So the fact now that she has it's quite worrying. And yeah, the the end of the episode kind of played out. There was so much going on in those last two minutes. Obviously, the Barton revelation, Tom and Zenzi's reaction to it, the decision for them to go and uh, Zenzi and Isaac to go and get the the piece. Um, And then that was kind of thrown in as well. It was a slow down. Um, It was kind of working overtime for the finale. But yeah, I do feel like that will come back and uh, bite him now as we head in towards the final final episode. Which I don't think Barton's coming back, by the way. I think we're ending the season without Barton home, oh. which is fine. <laughs> I mean, he so can stay up there. <laughs> Enjoy Saturn, you flop. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, As Mariah um, Carey says, we love everyone. Do we love Barton, though? Barton has not... Mariah Carey always lies when she says that. She's just trying to keep it cute, and that's how I meant it. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) 
Okay, so to end this pod, I'm skipping the rest because who cares about the people who um, were um, awful online? They can just stay as frequent as flops. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Stay mad, whatever. <laughs> yes. Um, so we're just going to uplift the, not the Iris and Candace haters, but the Candace and Iris lovers, the fans who have been in the trenches, whether it's from the get-go or, you know, you started watching the show and you realized our girl was getting the utmost of harassment and you wanted to uplift her and her character. You guys are amazing. Um, you are the best champions for Candace and for Iris. I, I really don't know as far as the, when it comes to like a... Um, like a singular actress, a singular um, character, a fandom who has been uh, this dedicated to protecting mm-hmm. a star as best they can within their ability without actually, of course, knowing her. I've never seen anything quite like this outside of like pop music. Like those fandoms are so loyal and loud and trend. Like we love you, Katie, when like it's like the littlest thing set against Katy Perry or like any pop star and to see that translate to an actress on a television show is really inspiring like with the power of fandom and those powers are used for good Mm -hmm. what it can do to uplift somebody definitely and that's the thing I said earlier how when the when I first crossed paths with the Iris fans they couldn't have been more lovely they were so nice and then to see them use that energy to consistently defend her, consistently come out every time somebody says something negative, or even just when the show wasn't treating her right. It's just, it's sometimes there's always silver linings in the darkness and the passion that that fandom has has been one of the biggest silver linings and it's been wonderful to say. And I have considered myself an Iris West fan for so long and to be part of that fandom, to fight with that fandom, to, to work with that fandom. It's just, it's wonderful. And I hope, like I said earlier, I hope Candace knows that she has inspired so many people out there because the fans are fantastic. And I love the Iris fans so much. I cannot put that into context enough. I just, every interaction I've had with them has been wonderful. And I've said wonderful about four times, but one more time, they are wonderful. <laughs> um, I, I just, that again, a big silver lining in the darkness. I just... I, I, I love the Iris fan base because and I because they love Iris so much and I love Iris so much. I love Candace so much. And yes, to continue in this fight, I hope they know the good they're doing and we're fighting alongside them. Yes, same. I think it just feels we're so protective. Like as Iris fans and Candace fans, we're so protective. And one of the things that I have loved seeing over the years is how gracious that fan base is whenever there's another um, black woman or even sometimes just a woman of color. Like even if they're not black, but they're also a woman of color and they're dealing with some mm-hmm. backlash. They were like, y'all doing a hashtag movement? You have the Iris fans support. Like who do we need to rally for? Like who do we need to uplift? We'll be a part of it. Cause they know what it's like to, to start out on the ground floor um, mm. and need to, to find a way to show the actress that, hey, this is not going to be tolerated. I just want to let you know this is not going to be tolerated. Like You have fans who may not have tuned in that are tuning in now because someone was being awful and they're like, I'm showing solidarity. I'll be there on day one. You'll see the hashtag. Do you see my squad? Like, we're going to be, <laughs> we're going to be here. And I think it's, it's honestly, it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have created such a beautiful fan community. 
um, and have been so welcoming to those who are just starting their journey. And I think that's, that's, as Michael said, wonderful. Yes. <laughs> we love them so much and they are wonderful. <laughs> yes. Uh, that is it for this week's pod. We will catch up on Riverdale on the next pod. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be like an actual, like a Riverdale pod. It's going to be a little cute Riverdale section. We'll see. And yeah, we'll, we'll see tell what happens in that finale. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll surprise everyone. Like Riverdale will undoubtedly surprise us. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, so we are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all.